Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6. We're back to the Gospel of Mark. Now, there's a very important day coming up in my life, um, and it's actually this month, and somehow in God's kindness, the graphic that I found even has the right day. Um, That doesn't always happen. Uh, But the 15th of May will be Colleen and I's 15th wedding anniversary. There's probably some term out there, like your golden birthday or something, but um, the 15th, our 15th anniversary, right, 15? Okay, good. On the 15th. I say right because I've gotten that wrong sometimes. And uh, this is actually one of those stretches of a lot of important events in our family's life. So uh, just a few weeks ago was Colleen's birthday. Uh, she's older than I am, for the record, and uh, by a good six weeks or so. And um, so it was her birthday on April the 16th. She actually has a sister who has a birthday kind of right in that window too. Um, And then we have our anniversary on May the 15th. And then my birthday, you can write this down if you're thinking about (laughs) cards or money or whatever, gifts, right? Uh, May 24th, May 24th, nobody's writing it down. (laughs) That's my birthday. And then uh, Tim's birthday is May the 31st. So we're in like this six-week window right, where it kind of all happens. Does anybody else have a family like that where you kind of have a a bunch of things that happen in the same stretch of time? I don't know what that says about conception, but we won't go there. Uh, So that's our family. And so we're in that window of time where we have all these monumental things. And your wedding anniversary is a special day, right? Or guys, at least it should be. And maybe you go out for dinner together and you, you find a babysitter and you get some special time. And it's kind of one of those monumental moments. And maybe your wife makes you listen to your wedding, you know, CD or video or MP3 or whatever. But it's one of those moments where you just bask in the wonder of this gift that God has given called marriage. It says, I think in Ecclesiastes, that whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with God. And I don't even know how that all works, but it's a good thing. And... Yet, I think most of us realize that life doesn't exist on candlelit anniversary dinners, right? I mean, life exists on frantic weeknight dinners that might end up being box macaroni and cheese if it all goes sideways, or might end up with a run through your favorite fast food restaurant. And, and actually, marital life exists in the friction that we work through together, because we all have it. Right? We, we have friction. It's real. It, it exists in the parenting of your kids and the alarm clocks and, and the getting up every day and the working through the budget where somebody spent and somebody didn't know they spent. And whew. Right? Isn't that where marriage is lived? And then in these moments you get that special time. You know, sometimes as Christians, Easter Sunday can be like that. We're like, Saw some funny memes this week about the church parking lot at Easter and then the church parking lot after Easter. I don't know if any of you saw those coming across Facebook. One was like, um, like a, a, a salvage yard with cars just stacked on top of each other on Easter Sunday. One was like a car parked on top of another car and the other one was just like empty spaces. <laughs> but the truth is that the Christian life isn't lived on Easter Sundays. It's not lived on Christmas Sundays, even though some people try to exist that way. 
It's actually lived in the everyday. And so as we come back to Mark chapter 6, we come back to the everyday of life with Jesus. What do you think people had noticed about Jesus before this in the book of Mark? Well, let me give you some things, since I didn't give you any time to think about that. I think by now they noticed that when Jesus talked, when Jesus taught, when Jesus told the truth to people, it was different. He, he was someone who taught with authority. He wasn't wondering or debating or questioning. He was like, this is what God has said. And in fact, if you want to know what that passage back in the Old Testament means, this is what it means. He, he did that from the time he was 12. And people were just like, oh, this, this, this guy is different. They probably had seen by now that his power was different. I mean, I'm always reminded of the limits of our own power when we pray over someone who's sick. I mean, James tells us that, that when there's a special situation and someone wants you to come pray for them, you should anoint them with oil and pray over them. And we've done that a couple times here at Gospel Hope. And I'll tell you that when I, when I sit there to do it as a pastor, I do it in faith and in frailty. And I pray. Because I can't heal anyone. My power is limited. But when Jesus came, people saw a whole different kind of power. A power over all kinds of disease. A power over demons and the powers of evil. A power over the creation itself that could stop a storm. That could tell the water, cut it out. And the wind to calm down, and it would. I mean, that's Jesus. And they must have noticed that his love was different. That his care for real people with real problems at any time of day, his love was different. The, the forgiveness of sin that he offered. And, and I think as much as they must have noticed how much he cared for real people with real problems, they must have also noted that, that there were things he really didn't care about. I mean, Jesus was not in love with the religious system of his day. He, he wasn't impressed or worried about what some highly touted religious leader thought. His love was different. And so as we come to Mark chapter 6, I think we see in the verses we're going to read three qualities of Jesus' everyday life that should ring into our hearts. Can we read this? Text together if you want. There's a Bible in the chair in front of you, and we'll be on page 854, or you can just read along with me on the screen. God's Word says, Immediately he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. Paint yourself this picture, boat in the water, Jesus on land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Good news in a boat when the wind's behind you, bad news when it's in front, coming at you. If you've ever been a, ridden a bike, you'll know that that's true too. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. That's a fascinating phrase. He was just going to go to the other side. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. 
And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that, he might touch even the, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that today, as we look at Jesus, you would open our eyes to behold the wonder of who he is. And Lord, we pray that as we see him, we would believe. And Lord, as we believe, our lives too would be changed. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. What do we learn about Jesus in these verses? What was it like to be with Jesus day in and day out, right? We've just come from one of the highlight moments of our calendar where we celebrate his death and resurrection. But, but what was it like to walk with him day in and day out? We, we actually have a very small sample size of that, right? Because John says if the books were written about what it was like to be with Jesus, you could just fill volume after volume after volume after volume. But we have the uh, abridged biography of his life. And so what do we see? Look at the first few verses we read. Because Jesus was devoted to a life-defining relationship. If you want to say that in um, simple terms, Jesus got alone to talk. Look at these verses. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. To Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, that's a nice way to say he made them go away. He went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Jesus gets alone. I mean, he really gets alone. Who does he send away? Well, he sends the crowds away, the people that he served. And he sends his disciples away, his closely his closest earthly relationships. He sends everybody away and gets alone. I don't know if, if there's been a harder time in human history to actually get alone. Have you experienced this? Wait, I have one of these? This is the definition of a blessing and a curse. I mean, my employer can find me anytime. Isn't that great? My fellow pastors can find me at any time. That's so great. Our families and our kids can find us at any time. I mean, that's good. But it's just created this sense of immediacy and urgency and Beep, 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 alert, 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 alert. Me, you ever been spending time alone with the Lord and your phone went off? 
And even if you ignored it, what did your mind do? And Jesus understood how hard it was to get alone. So he sent people away. And then he went away. He got alone. Because at the center of Jesus' life was one relationship. And if you spent time around Jesus every day, you couldn't have missed this fact. That his relationship with God the Father was the driving relationship in his life. And that it was crucial for him to get alone to pray. I mean, just look back a couple pages to Mark chapter 1. And we're not going to do a survey of all the Gospels But look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, how early, early, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus knew that there was a relationship at the center of his life that needed his attention. And I don't know if we can actually understand, I I think in our humanity we can't. I don't think that we can understand the nature of the closeness of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. That they had enjoyed from all eternity, and when Jesus comes to be a man, there's some level to which that becomes a long-distance relationship. Anybody been in a long-distance relationship? Right? You just, you can't wait for the phone call to talk. And Jesus gets alone with his father to talk. And that relationship shapes everything he does. He says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my father are one. By the way, the Jews of his day had no mistake about what that meant. Jesus was fully God. He was one with his father. They were inseparable from his birth to his baptism to the cross. That's part of what makes the father turning his back on the son such a deep thing. But, but then it ended with Jesus saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, Jesus said this in John chapter 5. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son of man can do nothing of his own accord, but, he own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son And shows him all that he himself is doing. Do you know why Jesus was so clear on what he was supposed to be doing? Because he was in lockstep with the Father. They were doing life together. And they needed time alone. Can I ask you? Do you get time alone with God? I mean, there, there may be nothing that Satan fights so much. There be, may be nothing that our flesh resists so much as just getting alone with God. You say, but I'm so confused about what God wants for my life. Maybe you should get alone with God. You say, but I'm so busy. Great, that's why we need to get alone with God. 
I mean, I don't think there's any accident here that the end of the passage we read is Jesus going back to the work God the Father's called him to. He knows clearly what it's supposed to be. You say, but I'm running on empty. Do you know what will restore your soul? Do you know what will really lead you into paths of doing what is right? Do you know what will shape the direction of your character and your family? Get alone with God. Andrew Murray, the famous South African pastor from the late 1800s, said it this way. Shut the world out. Withdraw from all worldly thoughts and occupations and shut yourself in along with God to pray to him in secret. Let this be your chief object in prayer to realize the presence of your Father in heaven. He also said, no man can expect to make great progress in holiness who is not often and long alone with God. Do you get alone with God? Jesus knew the importance of that relationship. But do you help others get alone with God? I find this is a place in my husbanding, speaking of anniversaries, that I could do a lot better job of trying to facilitate, right? With a two-year-old, getting alone can be a challenge, and with multiple children, the challenge probably grows exponentially. But get alone. Kids and teens who are here, if you have a mom and dad that are helping you to do this, you should be psyched about that. If you don't have a plan, how can I, where can I be reading? Uh, can somebody give me some help in praying? Like, we will help you. There's no magic formula. It cracks me up. These are like the pictures online. Who does this? Anybody just go out into a random field of cut grass, <laughs> kneel on your knees, and the sun comes out through the clouds like this? Anybody? Can I tell you what the other pictures look like? If you go home and Google alone with God tonight, anybody want to guess? Guess where people are? Two places besides in the middle of a field, <laughs> kneeling under, on a beach, by themselves, right? Because you know all beautiful um, beaches at sunset are places of peace and loneliness. And on the side of a cliff, just like sitting by themselves, hopefully not falling off. You know, that's not what it means to be alone with God. But we need to send away the people, even the ones who need us. We need to get space. And you need to go away. The, the crowded lunchroom at work is not the best place to be alone with God. Now, there might be a spot in your house or in your yard, if the weather's good, that works. Find it and get alone with God. Jesus takes time to be with his Father. But the second thing you notice if you spent any time with Jesus is his awe-inspiring power. Right? Look at verse 48. So the disciples are in the boat. Jesus is alone. <coughs> This is one of those stories in the Bible that has to make you chuckle. Like if you don't chuckle, you're just missing it. So here's what happens. The, Jesus sends the disciples to go across the boat, or across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And we know from the geography that we're talking about somewhere between like six and eight miles, this trip. Right? All the way across. 
And so he sends them to go, and look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. You ever made headway painfully? You ever made headway painfully on I-15? Oh, you were making headway, but it was painful. <laughs> right? I was joking about um, riding bikes, but Colleen and I like to ride bikes. And um, all you need is a little headwind to make your bike ride much different than it is without a headwind. I remember one time in Indiana, we were riding. Indiana is like, imagine how hilly it is here and just go flat, right? It's just flat. In fact, when we ride the Jordan River Parkway, we actually test the wind. And we have two possible points to start, one north, one south. And we always want to ride into the wind first and then get a tailwind on the second leg. That's always our strategy. If we do it backwards, that's our fault. But they're riding, riding into the wind, you can feel just, it just slows you, it makes you ineffective. By the way, that's why I hate walking, just for walking's sake. It's such an ineffective thing. <laughs> My wife likes to go on a walk. A what? I can run. That's exercise. I can bike. That's more efficient in exercise. Or I can drive my car. They all get me where I'm going. But this walking thing is like this vague thing in the middle that I don't know why we're doing it. Like uh, maybe to talk? I don't know. We're walking. It's exercise. Sure. Okay. Jesus sees the disciples in the boat and they're just like, they're just rowing against the wind. By the way, some of you feel like this in life right now. And even though some of them were strong fishermen and some of them were probably poor paddlers, they were stuck. Like, like we are in a traffic jam in our cars. And they were making headway painfully. So what does Jesus decide to do? He needs to get to the other side too to meet them in the morning. So what does he decide to do? Just walk. Stop for a sec. Do you understand that Jesus has power beyond, he, he just thinks in a different world than you do. He has options you don't have. And some of you right now are in a situation in the middle of the lake, and you are rowing against the wind, and you're like, I do not know what my options are. Can I just promise you that your Savior has power beyond anything that you naturally see or think? Because he said, boat is not the way to go, so I'll just walk. And John tells us that he walked somewhere between three and four miles to the middle of the lake. I don't know how long that took him. An hour? 20 minutes? I don't know if he did it in five. I don't know how Jesus walked. But imagine walking through the choppy waves of a storm. And Jesus is just walking. Stop it. This is his power. This is the power that Jesus has. Every single day. And that's why he could heal people. And that's why he could turn this much food into this much food. And that's why when a crowd came to stone him, he could just disappear through the crowd. And that's why when the disciples were terrified after his resurrection, and they're in a locked room, that Jesus just enters the room, no door. This is Jesus. That's, that's why he comes up to a fig tree that's not producing fruit and goes, you're done. This is the power that Jesus possesses. Do you understand that there's not a thing you're going through that Jesus lacks power to take care of? There's not a storm you're in. 
There's not a sin you can't conquer. There's not anything going on in your life. There's not a person you know and love and care about that is beyond the power of Jesus. No one, nothing. He's the guy who sees a storm and just walks on the water. Don't forget that. And then Jesus stops walking, right? And about the fourth watch of night, the the verse says, he came to them walking on the sea. So at some point in his walk across the sea, he caught up with the boat. Think about that moment. And then this phrase in verse 48, and he meant to pass by them. What was Jesus going to do? He was going to finish the walk. (laughs) He was going to meet them on the other side. Can you imagine what that conversation would have been like? Jesus, you were there. Now you're here. How did that happen? Oh, I walked. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and screamed like little girls. (laughs) And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So he stops. And feel the heart of Jesus, his care and his love. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. What would your brain have been processing at that moment? It's who? It's what? (laughs) And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Some of your Bibles say sorely amazed. They were thrown for a loop is the picture, and they were really thrown for a loop. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Jesus' presence terrified the disciples, but he speaks calm to their hearts, and he acts to calm the situation and to rescue them. One of the other accounts of the story says, and immediately they were at land. Problem solved. <coughs> but I'm interested as I read this story to see the response of the disciples. Verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Do you know, this is the idea of having a hardened heart. I've shown it in three different pictures. The the verb there is actually, um, almost sounds like the word porous in our minds. It has that idea of a stone that's been weathered and full of holes, but it's solid. It's It's a rock. It also carries the idea of calloused hands or blinded eyes. There's a really important lesson here for us. That seeing a lot of Jesus, even incredible displays of his power, doesn't mean that we'll get it. Hearing a lot about Jesus doesn't mean that we'll get it. No one walked closer to Jesus than these men. They had just seen him make food for 10 to 15,000 people. And you know what the verse says? They didn't get it. And so that's what we've been singing 
and praying this morning that God would open our eyes. That he would help us to see him. Because just because you've read the stories, and just because we've sat in church, and just because you grew up in it, doesn't mean you'll see Jesus right. It actually means that like a worker who's constantly um, having friction with logs or uh, working with his hands, your hands can actually just get numb. They can get calloused. Your eyes can get glazed over and cloudy. You could become like that rock that even though the water's hit it a lot, and maybe it appears that there are some small dents in it, it's just hard. I'm convicted by that myself, even as I read about the disciples. And I just pray with the psalmist that God would open my eyes so I could behold wonderful things out of his word. And I wouldn't just leave today and go, man, that was a nice sermon about Jesus walking on the water. We learn one more thing about Jesus, one more quality of his everyday life. It's at the end of this story. Look at verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Jesus spends time with his father. He demonstrates his power. And then he goes right back to work. Just serving, faithfully loving, caring for people. And what you notice in this passage is how wide-reaching Jesus' serving is. It's everywhere he goes. It's everyone he comes in contact with. And he meets every single need. That's what Jesus does. I always, in the, in the spirit of our anniversary, I always pick on my wife when I preach. Pick on's the wrong word. Talk about our, our family. But you know, I was standing here, we were singing this morning. Kev's, Kev's perceptive, so I know Kevin sees and notices. Even as Kevin leads and sings, he's actually watching our church family and, and trying to follow the Spirit's leading, and they have a plan, but he's just always, he's connected. That's a strength of his. So we sang um, 10,000 Reasons, which was powerful. And then we transitioned into Sovereign Over Us. And so that's a song, Sovereign in Our Greatest joy, sovereign in our deepest needs. Kev could give you all the lyrics, but um, Colleen starts crying. And you know what? I don't know why. I could guess. Right? I know our lives. I know her well most of the time. Then sometimes I show that I don't. <coughs> Happy husbanding. But, but I don't know what's in your heart right now. I know some of you and your lives a little better, and so maybe, maybe there are hints. But I, I don't know what you're carrying. 
I don't know what your joys are. I don't know what your griefs are. I don't know what's keeping you awake at night. I don't know if, you've just, if you just feel overwhelmed by everything right now. But can I tell you something about Jesus? He knows exactly what he's doing. He has all the power and all the resources. And he meets people in their need all the time. Isaiah calls him the suffering servant. Do you know that's the heart of Jesus? Some of us are trying to be really good sheep and hope Jesus doesn't have to spend much time with us. He's got other people to worry about, so I'm going to try really hard to, to take care of most of this stuff on my own. Do you know that's not the heart of Jesus? His care abounds. It is freely available. So I really have a simple prayer for us. I don't know if you've seen these. I meant to consult with our resident ophthalmologist this morning. Is that right? Am I right there? Ophthalmologist, am I right? Yeah, there you go, that one. I, sh I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> so Stephen and Jessica, oh, Jessica, Stephen, they're uh, optometrists. In 2010, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology um, based off quite a bit of research, developed new glasses. And again, I didn't get their opinions on these, but a company called Enchroma um, came out with glasses that would help people with color blindness to see, to see the world in color. Maybe you've been on YouTube and seen the videos. Usually it's either like grandparents or little kids. There's a few people in the middle, but usually it's, hey grandpa, we got these for you for your birthday. And somebody who has just seen in grays or a couple colors for their entire life suddenly has a tool that allows them to see the world in color. And you know what most of the time they start to do? Big, strong, grown men. What do they start to do? Cry. cry. <laughs> There's a lot of crying. Because it's powerful to see the world in color. Do you know what the Bible is for us? It is a lens to see Jesus for who he really is. You say, man, I have some questions about Jesus. Good, you should read the Bible. You say, well, I've known Jesus for a long time. Good, you should read the Bible. Because you know what Jesus ought to always be doing in your heart? He ought to always be doing this with his word. And you go, oh, I see that facet of him in a new way. I see it more fully. I see it in a way that goes, oh, that's how it connects to me. I believe it. Because if you don't, then guess what you are? You are someone who's got a hard heart. Now, all of us have a hard heart to some degree. But listen, we need to see Jesus. And when we see him, we suddenly go, yes. That's who he is. Yes, that's the power I need. Yes, that's the one I need to get alone with. Yes, that's the one who serves me. Yes, I need to serve others. Like, all that stuff happens when we see our Savior for who he is. And that ought to be in every day. Not that you have these moments every day. But getting alone to see him and know him and walk with him should be Every day for us.
not just the wah of Easter Sunday. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Jesus that quite truly changes everything. Or maybe there is someone with us who's never seen Jesus for who he is or has resisted it. And Lord, all of us have an imperfect view that needs to be changed from glory to glory. And so we pray that you might develop in us a life alone with you, a life that leans on your power, that believes it, that sees you, rescue and transform us, and a life that allows you to serve and is filled with service to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.